As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Rates and Barrels, it is Wednesday, March 3rd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We have some spring injury information to pass along. We have a good question about auction calculator prices and how to use those in snake drafts. Uh, so we'll talk about that because it's a really good tool that you can use for all of your upcoming drafts. A uh, great question about barrel rates versus hard hit rates and exit velocities and how there are some guys who are good in one or two of those categories, but not necessarily good in all three. We'll try to figure out what that would mean for those players going forward. You know, how's it going for you on this Wednesday? Good. I have another dog thought for you. Uh, My two dogs who took, yes, yes. And this one is also weird. Uh, My two dogs are combined weight of maybe 20 pounds. Uh, They are Chewinis. They are tiny. Um, and they're the, the way back from school every day, it, the, the process is that one of them picks up like, a like an enormously large branch. That's, that's like the size of both of them. Right. And it's just got leaves everywhere. And it's just this big branch and they walk out in front with the branch and they're like, I've got a branch. And then the other one's like, I want a branch. You know, and so the other one runs up and they fight over the branch and they fight and they fight and they drop and they got to pick it up and they, break, and they break it and they break it and they fight and they break it and they break it and, and, they, and they just destroy the thing. So there's no, there's no stick left and the stick is me. <laughs> That's you? You're, you are the stick life. that your dogs this destroy every day. This is family life is what I'm saying. It's just, it was a, <laughs> it was a strong allegory for family life. Uh, so anyway, yes, uh, cute, tiny, and bark way too much. Vicious. Well, you know, I'm I'm glad um, glad they're happy, even <laughs> even if you are getting destroyed. I have some every issues. Day. <laughs> yeah, we'll try to fix that some other time. But yeah, right. uh, <laughs> the dogs are happy, so I guess that's all that's all that matters at this point. Uh, before we started recording, we got some news. Framber Valdez has a fractured left ring finger. He suffered that uh, after a bouncing comebacker caught him on the hand. I think that was on Tuesday that he was pitching. No timetable for his return just yet, according to the Athletics' Jake Kaplan. Uh, it kind of sounds like opening day is going to be a problem, though, just based on the early indications, since it is his pitching hand. Uh, Houston's rotation depth, I, I think it's kind of interesting. Some people have, have pointed to it and said they're a mess if they lose starters, but they were working with some relatively unheralded depth guys last year and got really good mileage out of Framber and out of Christian Javier. Uh, you were doing a slow draft, so you've got that running while doing TGFBI, and behind the scenes, you were reaching out to me and saying, hey, is this, you know, after pick 500, throw a dart on Forrest Whitley. I think he's pretty damn interesting for someone that you would maybe have to throw into a rotation if you're in Houston shoes. We've talked about this before. You know, the walk rate's been through the roof. The results in the upper levels of the minor leagues in 2019 especially were not good, but there is still a ton of raw talent there and this 
Valdez injury, as frustrating as that is, may open the door for Whitley to get some big league innings sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think they actually have some credible depth beyond, and either it's Whitley or it's Luis Garcia. Uh, both of them are interesting. They're they're interesting pitchers, and you know they have a pretty good pitching development program there. You know, by my most accounts, uh, most teams are looking up at them. Um, you know, uh, some of my reporting suggested that the Brewers, uh, you know, value shapes differently. That's going to come out in my piece that's coming out soon. Uh, the Brewers value shapes differently. And so people kind of look at them and being like, you know, what's up with them? Like, how do they, how are they doing, you know, pitching development, but otherwise, you know, kind of the Astros, the Mariners, the Indians, um, you know, the Dodgers, the Yankees are creating shapes, um, and creating velocity that, uh, align with each other and, and are finding some success in moving the needle. Um, but, um, you know, uh, Whitley, I, you know, I, the, the question to you was, cause I, I've done some best ball, uh, you know, deep drafts where you draft like 50 or 60 rounds and that's your team and they pick the best ball out. Uh, like the, they pick the best lineup out. That's best ball, right? And in best ball, um, I think it makes more sense to take veterans than than to take uh, uh, prospects because the prospects uh, may not be there and they may not give you what you need in terms of, you're not setting lineups and like you may not have all the innings you need. So, um, and if you think about it, veterans have great weeks. You know what I mean? Like if if you knew what a great like the great week for you, like if the t- if the computer was going to pick your great weeks from your veterans, you'd put some some great weeks. You know what I mean? Like John Means will have an amazing week this this year, or even somebody down down uh, further along. Like, um, do you remember who I was talking to you about? Oh, like Logan Webb. I was like debating Logan Webb versus Forrest Whitley. And it's like Logan Webb is going to have at least one or two weeks this week that are going to be this year that are going to be amazing. You know, it's just how it works. Um, but uh, in this case, it's a little bit different than best ball where I have to choose the week. Like, like let me throw that down for you. You find Logan Webb's best week this year, this year and nail it down. You know what I mean? Instead, in that case, I think I'd rather have Forrest Whitley, which is like I'm taking a shot at a guy who comes up and becomes so good that I just play him. You know, and I don't right. have to like every week go like, oh, is this the week that Logan Webb has a good week? Uh, so I think there is a little difference between, I guess this is called, uh, it's a DC draft champions. Or, I'm I'm kind of a newbie for NFBC. Sorry, I'm an old person. <laughs> Laugh at me. I don't care. But um, uh, <laughs> this is a DC. This is different from a best ball. Uh, so there's slightly different strategies there. But Forrest Whitley, Luis Garcia uh, now become more interesting. I, I think I'll drop Valdez to around where I have Lamette, you know, the 40s, 45, something like there. Just to, you know, this it's sort of like a good but question mark uh, tier. Yeah, I, I would take Valdez with the finger injury over Lamette with the uncertain health of his elbow. Like, I think there's a, to me, it's still a pretty big preference for the guy with what seems like a less severe injury. Still awaiting more details, of course. Right, like especially tomorrow or the next day where the news comes out where it's like, you know, uh, three-week rest and rehab, two weeks to come back, and he's back in mid-April, right? You don't risk the whole, like losing the whole season versus losing a couple weeks. Yeah, Luis Garcia is a good name to bring up because we did see Garcia pitching in the big leagues last year, just 12 and a third innings, 9Ks, 5 walks, had an ERA under 3, a whip under 1. I think he's probably one notch ahead of Whitley just in the short-term plans. But I think the short-term plans for all upper-level prospects became a little more complicated when we learned this week that the AAA season is not going to start on time. It's been delayed one month, so we're going to have the alternate site plan in effect to begin the season. And I do think for some teams, in certain instances, there's going to be a little more interest in letting the near-big-league-ready players start the season in the big leagues, kind of see what happens for the first month. And if things aren't going well, then send those players down for more game reps at AAA. Because the more we learned about the alternate site as last season played out and, and getting a chance to talk to, to various sources over the course of the offseason, you just got the sense that the alternate site was Groundhog's Day. It was not good for development. Players didn't like it. There wasn't necessarily a lot of growth happening there. So at this point, you know, if you want to just put those players who you thought were kind of fringy for the opening day roster, you put them on the roster, see how it goes. You still have that flexibility to send them down later on, and they don't have to go through the experience of 
scrimmaging against less talented prospects and and kind of barely on the 40 man type players i don't know man like sometimes there were coaches like jason ochart sent some picture out where he's playing you know third base or who's he playing the outfield um you know we we heard that uh, they they were bringing the pitching machines and instructs uh because they ran out of pitchers so i um i don't know I don't know. It's it, it's 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 a weird. It's a rough combination right now in baseball, where they're because of injuries and because of just the way that front offices have been working, and because of uh, 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 you know, there's a move, youth movement in baseball, right? Like the, that's that's undeniable. And COVID has has created a little bit more of a need even for these young players, as there's been more injuries to the veterans, right? So you know, and COVID. Uh, losses like people missing time for COVID. So between all that, like you never needed the youth more, and at the same time, uh, the youth is not being served by our player development because it doesn't exist. Like the minors don't ex- haven't existed and won't exist. So it's a tough combo. And like to see Wander Franco today hit that massive home run, right? Just beautiful, just just beautiful. Um, you you think okay, I love it, you know top pick and he's performing like it and it looks amazing and it's going to work out i i wonder if um it's all a little bit scarier for other prospects or for prospects in general for people that are trying to you know depend on them is this going to be a good year for prospects to like come up and you know are they gonna are they gonna shake it off and be like i don't care like i'm gonna perform I've wondered about that. I've wondered how much or is it a year to fade long term. I I don't know if it's from. I don't know if it's this batch of players or if it's guys that miss time in the low minors that we should be worried about. The ETA 2023-2024 guys. I almost wonder if they were more vulnerable than guys who were closer. Guys that were going to play last year at Double A AA and Triple A. A lot of those top prospects at least did get to the alternate site. They did get big league level instruction last season mm, right the coaching is superior when you get to close to yeah. the big league so they got they got a lot of that yeah so even if it wasn't the same as the reps at double a AA and triple a it was better than what a lot of low a and high a prospects got last year so i feel like we're going to see you know more of a delay or, or different aging curves for this group of players that was either drafted and in a ball or lower, or even like high school seniors and, and college juniors and players who had their seasons interrupted at that phase of development as well. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll you know we'll know in in five years we'll, we'll maybe look back and go oh wow that was some weird stuff that we saw with these players who lost a season at various stages of development. It'd be really interesting if we saw that cohort, the COVID cohort, age a little bit more like old school aging curves. At old school aging curves, people used to improve before they hit their peak and then and, and and decline. And what we've seen recently is that people just hit the majors at a certain level and then decline, possibly ostensibly because our uh, our player development system is is so good that we've like we've we've create these like guys that are close to the, basically at their peaks and they and they perform that way. Maybe we'll see a group of players that has to improve, which in which case you would fade prospects because they wouldn't land uh, on their two feet and just tatis it up. You know what I mean? Like for the most part, they would uh, they would struggle at first. And we have a lot of post hype sleepers, and we'd we'd ha- we'd hem and haw about how you know COVID like stole a whole generation of players from us, and then a lot of them would recover and become good again once they got that big league instruction, once they got the the playing time under their uh, once they got that time to improve. So. Um, that'll be a really interesting thing. It's, you know, also interesting to think about the idea of the pitcher versus hitter split. Maybe it is time to bet on pitching prospects for once because these pitching prospects have had more time. You know, they had more time to, uh, to do like, I think time off development without games, um, benefits pitchers more than hitters. Because hitters need to stand in the box and and have someone try to get them out, you know. And BP doesn't do that, and a pitching machine can kind of do that, but it doesn't really. Um, and but a, a pitcher can shape his pitches, work on his mechanics. He dictates the flow of the game, so like he can do a lot of that thought process in his own head. Um, and I think live ABs may be just good enough for them. So I don't know how that pertains to say 
who do you think the the top uh, hitting prospects that could be uh, useful in baseball this year? Like that'll actually that'll actually play in baseball this year. You're talking about uh, pitching prospects. You're probably talking about like Force Whitley, Edward Cabrera with the Marlins. Uh, who else are you you thinking about? I mean, I've got so I'm working on a, a rookie oh, right. rankings piece. That. Yeah, I'm working on it, and I've, I've it's taking forever to get through it because we're doing a lot of shows, which is awesome. But I've got Edward Cabrera clustered in to a tier with Spencer Howard and Michael Kopech at the top of that tier because they're sort of guys that are basically big league ready. Innings are being monitored. Big league time, you know, but yeah, yeah, like they're they're at the top of that group. Patino's in that group, and then I've got Edward Cabrera, Matt Manning, and Forrest Whitley all lumped together. Mm-hmm. Cabrera, I think, has to go behind Whitley for now because he's dealing with a biceps issue, and I think the Marlins are understandably going to be very careful with him. Manning, of course, had an injury season. last year. Yeah, like, the Marlins. That division's tough. That works against them. Like they yeah. in a. In a flat sort of division, I think they could hang around a bit more. I think in the NL East, it's going to be difficult for them to exceed expectations. I, I think Cabrera, Manning, and Whitley are in similar buckets in that they're going to be handled very carefully. They're possibly going to see time in the bullpen, even though I think all three are going to be very good starters long term. And I wouldn't want any more than one pitcher from this group on a redraft roster, including Howard Kopech and Patino. Like I'd like these pitchers. But I don't think you can justify stashing two of them because you might be waiting several weeks for them to get big league innings, especially working in a normal starter sort of role. And I think as great as Cabrera might be, that injury is a really big blow for his chances of making a first half impact in mixed leagues. I think he's more of an NL only reserve sort of stash for me at this point. And I just don't see a player in that group that... um I want to stake my claim to and be like, yeah, this guy used the time off to develop me, Whitley, but like, you know, he still has to get overcome Luis Garcia and the command problems. And um, it's not obvious that he's just going to hit the ground running. Spencer Howard uh, is an interesting guy to bet on. But like on the hitting side, uh, you just got, you know, like Dylan, the Dylan, I'd rather have Dylan Carlson than Spencer Howard. I'm not going to tell you to fade Dylan Carlson because Howard has had time to develop or whatever, you know, like um, who, who are the hitters, the best hitters you have? Uh, well, the best, so the, the ones the best that have pitchers real quick. Played. Yeah. Well, there's a couple. So there's a couple tiers even above that group of pitchers I mentioned. Oh, oh. Like I have Sixto, Ian Anderson, and Tristan McKenzie kind of all together. Like, like they're. I was thinking about guys like, who haven't played yet, though. You know, just because. Right, right, right. That's what you're when you're like drafting. You're taking a real chance on somebody. You know, so the only one who has hadn't played at all is like Manning, Edward Cabrera, and Whitley. Whitley. I think on the hitter side, I mean, it's Wander, it's Kelnick. Those guys, they can make more of an impact right away because hitters come up and they don't have those workload restrictions. They don't have that role flexibility that we look at. And usually when they come up, they're not brought up to like be a part-timer. You know, there's like, a, right. there's usually it's right. like, drum roll, please, Jared Kelnick, you know, our starter in left field. Sorry, Jake Fraley, we gave you three weeks. You didn't do anything with it. <laughs> you didn't murder the ball for three weeks, and now you're a fourth outfielder. And in a couple of weeks, if you don't hit as a fourth outfielder, you're, you're going gone. down. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so Kelnick is the the obvious uh, guy to, to throw down on. I think another name I want to throw out here is Josh Jung as a uh, nearby prospect that hasn't played at all in the major leagues that could spend a month in the minors and come up and, and rake. Um, seen some sort of Ian Kinsler type comps. Who else did you have as as guys who have not played at all? A peek behind the curtain. So I, I've got Kelnick and Wander Franco so as the two. It's coming out. Me, sorry. No, you know what? This is a, it's fine. There's hopefully it's a little little more than this conversation. Right, if right, I, right. If I, if I take all this time and my piece isn't more than what we're saying right now, then I've, right, I've right. failed. But I think Kelnick and Wander are prospects that you're going to roster in pretty much every type of league once they come up. Like mm-hmm. I think even in shallow mixed leagues, there's a path for them That's to be to be useful. Before. Right. Uh, guys that haven't debuted yet, Kirilov, he debuted in the playoffs. I mean, I think he's he's kind of like Andrew Vaughn. Like if, it, if it's not opening day, it's not long after opening day. Those teams are expecting a lot from those guys. The thing that could mess it up for Vaughn, the only thing, I think the only thing that could mess it up for Vaughn is Ioannis Cespedes. Ooh, really? I, I didn't think about that as a, a real concern. 
Yeah, I think it's possible. And isn't Edwin Encarnacion still out there? Or did he sign? Still out there. So those two, those two, you know, still a possibility they could just sign one of those guys for and tell them you have a month. If we think you're toast, Vaughn's coming up. Well, so the next group, it kind of gets into mostly only leagues until these guys get promoted. I would say that Jeter Downs is probably in the same group for me as as Josh Jung, and I might even might even take Downs a little ahead of him. I mean, I, they signed a couple of utility guys essentially with Kike and Marwin both being in Boston. But if Jeter Downs is raking, why I think wouldn't so. they bring him? I up think it'll be season? hard. I think it'll be a little bit hard. I think there's also ahead of the CBA. There might even be some internal pressure on teams, you know, especially once the first month goes by, to be like, hey, you know, we're gonna get a lot of crap if we don't put our best players in the in the major leagues. If like, you know. And and Jung and Downs are really interesting because they play at positions of need for their teams, you know? Yeah. And so if they're raking and their team is still running out like utility guys and like Odor or, you know, whoever, like people they've kind of moved on from um, and they're, or Odor is hitting like 150 and Kike's hitting 220, but he's playing all over, then like it'll be like so obvious. I think there could be. So, like even media pressure or just like fan pressure for those guys to come up. So I, I like those two names. Jaron Duran, uh, also in Boston, I think is pretty interesting. He's added some power, made some changes to his swing. The hit tool has always been good. I think he was a prospect of the week selection ooh, way back in the spring of 2019, if I remember correctly. Uh, so he's pretty much knocking on the door at this point. I think they have opportunities in that outfield that he could end up taking over, especially if they don't bring JBJ back. Right. I mean, like that, is a pretty clear opportunity for him too. So he's definitely on the radar. How about this? Prospect of the week. <laughs> I like yes. your name. Do it. I like your name. The long shot in Houston. I like it. Let's do it. Pedro Leon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I gotta add him. I gotta add him to this this tiered thing that I've got going on in the background because I, I really don't know what to make of him. They had him taking ground balls at shortstop. They signed him as really more of a center fielder. He's not young. Like, it might not take him that long to be big league ready. He could be big league ready by May or June. But really, he might be big league ready today. Like, yes. That's, that's not He's out of the range of He's 23 years old and played in Cuba I don't know. I like. I don't. Cuba ranges like there are some fields that are like low A, <laughs> um, and then there's some fields that are more like double, triple A. There are some teams that are that are it's it's uneven competition. But just look at the players that have made it, have made the jump. They've made it quickly. Some of them have made it directly. He's 23 years old. He plays center field. Miles Straw is Malik Smith. Miles Straw is not an everyday big league player. Chaz like he, McCormick no chance. is Jake Fraley. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Pedro, it's like a gaping hole on a team that's projected to win is projected to win 90. And they showed up as a good bet. I did my over-unders today. Astros, uh, over-unders only 87-5. I still take them with Valdez out. Um, so that's just a thing. But Leon, center field, baby. Let's do it. I, I, and I'm not saying go draft him in your 12-teamer. That's ridiculous. But, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably in some wicked deep leagues. And Pedro Leon is a name that Dynasty players know uh, and are really excited about him. You know, and I even texted my homeboy, James Anderson, about it. And Anderson's like, I love him. I just don't know if he's a 21, 22 guy. That uh, is kind of an interesting thing to hear from somebody who's going to, you know, do an AL only league uh, this weekend. Crap, we should have done this segment next week. Um, <laughs> and uh, 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 but also just, uh, you know, those the, the two other leagues that I was talking about, best ball and 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 uh, draft and hold, you know, sort of uh, DC type stuff. Then um, you know, late. I just put him on my queue. Yeah, he should be drafted at least in the last 10 rounds of a 50-rounder, maybe even a little bit earlier, just because there is a path for him to get that opportunity uh, sooner rather than later. And I think looking at him compared to Downs, looking at him compared to Jung, I think he kind of belongs in that tier. He could be an early season call-up, and the range is like six weeks in either direction for for guys like that. I guess it can't be earlier than than opening day. But Age matters because he's 23 years old. You're not going to game for that sixth year. Like, do you care about him at 31, 32? Like... This is this comes up sometimes um, when I, isn't Vaughn Vaughn's a, a college guy 
there's a couple guys where you're just like, dude, he's like, why do you care about his thir- age 31 season? You don't even want him at that point, probably. You know, don't right. don't play uh, these ticky tack games. You know, with a 24 year old, just bring him up. Right. I think teams have have started to realize that in a pretty big way. I think the other guy that's tough in the the rookie conversation is Adley Rutschman because I thought, and again, prospect analysis isn't my sweet spot, but I, I thought Adley Rutschman in a full season in 2020 was ready to play in the big leagues by season's end. Defensively, ready behind the plate. Offensively, going to be, I think, a well-above-average player at the position in the not-so-distant future. But what makes this situation really unique is that the Orioles are even further away than a team like Seattle. And with Rutschman, it's like if you're going to wait even six to eight weeks to call him up, then you have that temptation to wait even longer, right? Uh, I mean, I just... I, yeah, I hate that. I hate that that's time, in the calculus. He's 23 years old, man. Like you're 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 talking about his age 30, 31 season that you're you're gaming around. And uh, not for nothing, you know, I like that one, not for nothing. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what it means. Um, not for nothing. I guess it means it it means something. Um, <laughs> it this means something. Oh, I kind of like some of the arms they're starting to put together. So, I've always said I like means, but Kramer and Aiken, if you look at if you look closely at my pitching ranks, you'll notice that I like them. Um, and you know, you got Kramer and Aiken, and um, I can't say that I like anybody else. Maybe Bauman um, down there, um, but there's got to be also a new crop coming up through their player development system that are coming soon. Maybe you install Rutschman sometime and say, "You're our guy, man! Like develop these pitchers with us," you know, mm-hmm. and. Where, like, do we really think we cannot compete in the next six years? Let's say, Rutschman, we're putting Rutschman in. We're going to compete in the next six years. Our our clock is started. In the next five years, we better be doing something. Yeah, so it's like the Cabrian Hayes situation last year where it's like, sure, the Pirates weren't going anywhere last season, but eventually you just got to play the guy at the big league level and say, we're going to put the pieces around him. In the Orioles' case, beyond the guys that you mentioned who are clearly like big league-ready arms, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall aren't that far away either. They are in the piece. They're going to be further down, of course. But with pitching, I just find the the timetables to be really difficult to project right now sometimes because of the lost season. Sometimes they, yeah. And why wait forever? I mean, like the Mackenzie Gore example is probably the most pertinent for most mixed league players. But with the Padres, we've seen what they've done with Tatis and Paddock. Gore is a Scott Boris client. Therefore, Mackenzie Gore almost certainly will not sign a long-term extension. Mackenzie Gore will pitch his way to free agency and try to get a $400 million contract in uh, 2027. Something to look forward to. But if you're the Padres, clearly you're in win-now mode. You have some high-risk starters in that rotation. If they go down, you want to bring a guy up that can actually give you innings that are at that sort of level. So I don't think it's impossible that we'll see Mackenzie Gore in the second half of April. I, I think what complicates things now, it would have been really good for for him. I mean this in a, like a very sincere way, just because he hasn't pitched that many upper-level minor league innings yet. It would have been good for him to get a handful of starts, even if they were shortened starts, at AAA. Now that that's not an option, they've got a tougher decision to make. He's, I think, one of the more difficult players to decide on in minor league baseball right now yeah and teams are having this trouble across the board i was talking to um a farm director recently and he was talking about how um you know there's like there's like if i put everybody that was in high a into double a and just say you know we're gonna keep the line moving and everybody else decides to put all the high a guys back in high a because they haven't done high a you know or whatever you know to repeat and to be then all my guys in double a are going to look uh terrible because right. there will all be double a guys that are sort of repeating and my guys will look terrible so then that says hey let me be conservative but if i do that and everybody does that then we just all lose a year because we just kept everybody back a year and he said, it's been making me rethink my entire process for when I, where I put a guy um, in the minor leagues. He, he said, I'm now looking at my, my, my pitchers in the minor leagues. And I'm saying, um, I'm saying, and this guy has some good pitchers. I'm saying, 
if they have major league pitch grades, like if my if my nerds, <laughs> I use it colloquially. I think it's okay. I'm, <laughs> I count myself as one. If my nerds are telling me that these guys have major league pitch grades, and my and my coaches are saying these guys have major league pitch grades, what am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? Yeah. You know, throw them. So um, I think it'll be just really fascinating once the minor leagues finally you know start to see assignments. You know, see see where people where where, where it, what teams what different teams are doing. Totally agree with you there. Now, just to put a bow on some of these names we're talking about, just focusing on the pitching. Sixto, Ian Anderson, Tristan McKenzie, kind of in a tier of their own because they've debuted already. Uh, the next group for me was Tariq, Tarek Skubal, Casey Mize. Uh, I put Gore in this group mm-hmm. because Gore could be the best pitcher that I write about in this piece by far. That's not a secret. There's a future value 70 on him on fan graphs. You don't see a lot of future value 70 pitchers. So it's Scooble, Mize, Gore, Nate Pearson. I've got I've got Pearson a little ahead of Howard and Kopech because I think the Jays have a little more pressure to use him as a starter. And I think he's got, I mean, he might have that role waiting for him right now. He might be, he might be a starter right now in the major leagues. Pat's a little clear. I've got AJ Puck in this group right now, but I think he could easily drop into the Howard Kopech group. Or just and then be a reliever. Dane, or a really good reliever. That's the other fallback. I think if he's in the bullpen, he's a high leverage reliever. But the problem is they added Rosenthal. So Puck's a little less interesting now than he was when I started this. Mm-hmm. Dane Dunning is the other guy in this group. And it's like one of these guys is not like the others. It's Dunning by far. Throwing 91 with a sinker. <laughs> But he's got a couple of interesting secondary pitches, and he's pitching in an airplane hangar. Right. Like he's he's in one of the most pitcher friendly situations in the league, and he's got the clearest path to the most innings of all these guys. Everybody yeah. else in that tier could be subject to some sort of manipulation. Dane Dunning, I don't think will be. So it's just so weird to rank a guy that is clearly a notch below everybody else in that tier because innings matter, volume matters. Yeah, yeah, and as a person who just uh, my my pitching staff through eight rounds in the TGFBI uh, is Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, and Pablo Lopez getting some guff online about how many innings I've got and the risk I've got. I've got two responses. One is, um, you know, I don't think that my guys are necessarily in the baby, uh, you know, in the babying stage. Maybe Urias, but. Um, you know, you know, these guys are more, um, you know, third, fourth year, right. Third, fourth year veterans, like all of them really like how many, how many years are you going to handle them with kid gloves? Um, you know, then all of a sudden the six years are up and you only got, you know, a hundred innings out of them one season. (laughs) So like Mm -hmm. on some level, I think these guys are just ready to go. And then the second thing is, uh, there's three things. The second thing is we're all screwed on innings. I don't think that, I don't know why anybody thinks that, you know, the innings are going to be easy this year. And the third thing is. Um, I don't think that we're going to do a really great job projecting innings. So I, I, you know, safe innings guy, Fraumber might've been a safe innings guy. Yeah. Well, relatively speaking. Yeah. In that range, I think so. And that's a group that includes Lazardo and Urias and some guys that maybe do have and, still some kid glove treatment. And you think that there might be some safe innings guy on the Padres. I'll tell you this, I will put it down right now. And I'm sorry to my, my Padres homeboys, like and homegirls, like I love the Padres. The Padres are gonna be great. One of their starting pitchers is gonna go down this year, inevitably. I'm yeah, just there's just sure so much. Do you know risk that the that DL group? percentage, the average DL percentage for a pitcher is forty percent? Forty percent. Forty percent for for just one stint. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. So basically, half right. the pitchers in baseball are gonna get hurt this year. The question is, how long? Yeah. Is it a hammy? Is it an oblique? Is it an elbow? Is it a shoulder? You know, what is it that actually? Uh, knocks these guys out. Uh, uh, the the main thing I would say in redraft purposes, mixed redraft purposes, is of these pitchers we've talked about, the Sixto Anderson McKenzie group is an exception. Obviously, you could draft two or three of them if you want to, right? You're not really worried about up the big and down. Leagues. I wouldn't, but I wouldn't take more than one from each of the next two groups. The Gore out of that Pearson. Well, yeah. I, Pearson's close to being that other one. I mean, I just think he's he's in the rotation, but we'll see. The, the, they might play some games. Uh, they're stretching out Julian Merriweather. They're stretching out Hatch, and and one of those guys might jump in there somehow. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you if you think the guy doesn't necessarily have a role yet, like Gore, yeah, you can only take one of those because you're gonna have to nurse him along. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to be careful. With and you're him gonna be like, oh, I want to drop Gore, but I want to drop Gore. Been, I need that bench. Spot. Benches aren't endless. 
that's the problem. Yeah. So you, you have to think about how difficult it's going to be to either hold that player or to possibly make that decision to cut him in some mixed leagues, depending on how the workload takes shape over the course of the season. How many innings would you project for Urias, by the way? I ended up drafting him as my second pitcher in TGFBI. I, I waited on pitching. I went Darvish in the second and waited until the seventh to get in on Urias. And then I got Sixto Sanchez in the eighth. So I'm okay with that foundation so far at cost because I feel like I've got a pretty big advantage in terms of the hitters that I was loading up on in rounds three through six. But I was thinking for Urias, 140 innings is probably where my expectation is. And if I get 160 or a little more than that, then I'm thrilled. But I'm not expecting more than 140 from him in the regular season. And I I'd, I think I'd rather take that um, than, than a shot at something I think is going to be 180 uh, of more oatmeal right? Like, I think Urias's per innings numbers are going to be great. And I think, he, you know, 140 is, is fine. And then it, let's say I take the shot at the 180 because there is no 200 anymore. There, there might be two guys this year that do 200. So 180 is the new 200, right? Okay, so I take a shot at a guy. I say, oh, you know, Sandy Alcantara or somebody else is, is more likely to do 180 than Julio Urias, right? 40% likely to hit the DL. <laughs> so my 180 guy hits the DL once, even if it's a, a, a oblique or whatever. And yes, Urias can get hit too. And I understand that this is all like sliding scales, but I'm saying, man, you could take those shots at those 180 guys, you know, take less production per inning and then get an oblique and be a 140 guy. And then you just, then you just didn't get what you wanted. So personally, and this may be a weakness, but I've never come up short on weakness on, I've never, like I've never come up short on innings and I've never come up short on K's. All of my teams will dominate in K's and home runs. That has never been a problem for me. I'm learning over time to try and spend money to get more stolen bases and to get more wins, right? Because wins are actually, they come from uh, better teams. They come up from more hyped players. You know, Garrett Cole is going to win more games than Shane Bieber. You know, there's, it's probably true. Um, and so I've been learning some stuff over time. I'm not saying I know everything, but I'm saying... I would much rather focus on your per inning goodness, your skills, especially uh, for two people that are going to be in a starting rotation. I'd rather have the one that I think is better. <laughs> right. <laughs> like yeah, I think I the, mean, all, the, all the other stuff I think is just really hard to project and really hard to predict. So like, I'm just going to take the better one. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sometimes we we tend to overcomplicate things. Urias has 239 big league innings so far, scattered over parts of five seasons. He's got a 3.20 ERA and a 1.25 WHIP so far. Yeah. And you know, last season, ten of his eleven appearances in the regular season were starts. So I think we've kind of pushed further into the he's clearly a starter on this team, even though they've got really good depth and even though they can manage things around him a little bit. The quality of those innings is going to be exceptionally high. You're not taking a zero when he's not starting. You're just leaning on your depth a little bit more. And I think how you put depth on your roster behind someone like that, if I'm going to rely on Urias as my two, I'm going to be a little more careful with some of the young guys that we talked about. I'm not going to have as many of those guys on my roster as I might otherwise. I'll, I'll, I'll go for a little more oatmeal on the bench and try and find a lot of two-start pitchers, try and find uh, the veterans in good streaming spots and, and manage it that way to really make sure that I'm getting enough innings because I think if you get too far down the young rabbit hole with how you build it out, then you can fall short. You can come up way short in innings. You'll definitely lag in wins. And that lead you should have had in Ks just becomes a, a relative strength. You're getting eight or nine points in that category instead of you know 14 or 15, right? You got to make sure you're still getting enough innings behind guys like this. And and I think it actually fits uh, uh, to Zig here uh, in another way. Uh, so you're talking about sort of oatmeal-y innings type guys uh, on your bench, right? Well, we've been talking about a guy like Alec Mills, right? Not super exciting, but he opens the season with two games against the Pirates, one of them in Wrigley, right? So, like, that's going to be a cold-ass game. Uh, that's going to probably be one you want him in there for. And having Alec Mills that you can jerk around and just start him against the Pirates and start him against the Reds at home or whatever it is you, you've come up with, uh, that's going to be useful. And it's going to be super cheap. And there's going to be other people picking up like Forrest Whitley types or Nate Pearson types. They love doing that with their final pitcher and saying, oh, I got upside on my bench. What if you got some upside, you know, with established roles 
with some track record up a high, and then you got some more. You know, uh, Spore has a t- has a, a term for this: team streamers, where your bench is guys who are in the major leagues, have some established roles, and you know you can muck around with. Be like, oh, I'm going to start. Yeah, you know, I'm going to start this guy outside of Coors. You know, when he's on the road, I'm going to start this guy uh, when he's at home. I'm going to start. You know what I mean? So like. Uh, mm-hmm. And those guys are super cheap, and you can wait forever on those guys. So it's something I've noticed even in my ranks this year where I had some high command plus guys um, near uh, the sort of 70 to 75, 70 to 80, which is where a lot of people are getting their last starter. Um, and I put some high command plus guys there because I was like, I like the high ceiling here. I think this year is going to be bad innings-wise, and I think these guys have roles, and and the command is going to give them a high ceiling. So if, you, if you're looking at my ranks, look at those high command guys in the 70s. Those could be uh, a way out if you've uh, taken Julio Urias as your second pitcher, as we did. Yeah, I think this is a really important point to drive home. Vlad Sedler was on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball pod last Thursday. He's had a ton of success in NFBC leagues, 12 and 15 team leagues alike. He's great at fab, and I think a big part of it kind of starts on draft day. It's getting the guys that the fab of uh, opening week, like that Sunday before opening day is the first fab run, drafting the guys that people are going to spend $40, $50 out of 1000 for, just drafting them saves you fab, gets you the matchups that everybody wants, and puts you in that position to go ahead and, and turn those spots over after the first week or after the second week, depending on how far uh, you know those guys carry some value. Like Think about your pickups at the end of your draft, and you can get ahead of the competition that way by maxing out matchups. That Alec Mills situation is a really good one. Like The Pirates are going to be awful. You're going to throw some pretty bad pitchers against the Pirates this year and live to tell the tale because you're going to get great ratios and lots of strikeouts from pitchers in that spot. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, we got a great question from Ben, and Ben wants to know, how do you use auction calculator prices in snake drafts? He writes, I get tripped up sorting by values because inherently you will have players with similar prices but vastly different ADPs. Examples, Pete Alonzo and J.D. Martinez, similar auction values, but J.D. goes 40 picks later. Do you sort by one data point or another while drafting, tier by position, any tips would be great as I feel like I always underperform in snake drafts. So this is a tool we talk about all the time. Fangraphs has an auction calculator. It's very flexible to different league sizes, different scoring formats, and different projection systems, right? You've got, I think, four projection systems you can choose to run through there. you got the bat, you got zips, you got ATC, uh, you, you got steamer. Points. You can do points on there, yeah. You get custom points values out there. It's, a, it's an outstanding tool. quite do, like... I don't think it quite represents weekly lineups great. So that's something if you're thinking if you're if you do NFPC or do weekly, it'll sometimes pump up a guy like Jock Peterson where you're like, ah, uh, yes, but I'm gonna lose a bunch of plate appearances by playing him weekly when he gets platoon and stuff. So just think about that. I, I've been thinking about if you have an idea, email us. I don't know how to represent that. I even reached out to David Alpman and was like, How how would you fix the auction calculator to, to have a weekly toggle? And we we texted back and forth about it a little bit, and it's, there's some ideas out there. But anyway, just as that's an aside, sorry. Uh, so what do you do to get around the the differences in how the market treats players mm-hmm. versus what the auction calculator splits out spits out? Because you want to you want to make sure that you're not overpaying for talent, and I think in and the you case, want your like guys, the, <laughs> and you want the you and, want and the you biggest wanna, number you guys. You want to get your guys, yeah, yeah. You want to get as many of those big number guys as possible. 
for me, I, I look at, I do look at the dollar values first, mm-hmm. and I'm comfortable pushing guys above ADP a little bit. Forty picks is a lot when you're talking about a top 100 player, right? right? JD's projection is similar to Alonzo's. I'm drafting him a round or two later, not three rounds later. Right? If you wait that for that third round, you try to thread the needle perfectly, you're probably going to miss out. Someone else is going to swoop in. But you also uh, got right there at this idea that like you might not draft Alonzo. Right. You found a similar player that has a similar auction value that could fit the similar place on your roster that you could get later. Yeah, so we've been saying the, the eat this, not that kind of exactly. uh, as our, our running joke this draft season. And it's really easy to see similar players with that tool. I know it's something our friends Paul Sporer and, and Justin Mason have done a bit on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast too. So this isn't some like original idea that we, we've put together and we're, we're not... Uh, you know, we're not geniuses for doing this, but it's a helpful tool <laughs> to use this way. <laughs> far, far from geniuses. He knows the stick that his dogs are fighting over and <laughs> yeah, shredding on the sidewalk. But I think it does give you an idea of where you might be overpaying for certain types of skills, right? Like power and run production. Sometimes you pay this premium for reasons that people don't articulate particularly well. Yeah, yeah, people are obsessed with Cattell Marte's power, right? They're obsessed with his power and if his power is there and if it's not there. But if you look at his projections and his value, he has value as a 290 hitter. It's the, they're Bingo. not projecting him for power. They're projecting him for like 20 homers, right? It's the 290, it's the 280, the 290 that you're getting. The, the handful of steals, it's a really hard package to be excited about. You're like, ah, I got, even I, I have Cattell Marte. I did the Marte Parte. I did Cattell Marte and Starling Marte uh, around the turn. I think it was 4 5 or something. So uh, I, I did it and I don't feel great about it because I'm like, uh, dude, it might hit 20 homers, but. He might hit 20 homers with a 280, 290 average and seven stolen bases and just really keep me afloat everywhere. And uh, But so the, the way that it really works for me is the Q. The Q is where it's at. So what you do is you, you look at the auction calculator. You sort for whatever positions you're looking at or whatever position you need. Early on, you can just look straight at the top hitters. But then later, you're like, I need a first baseman. I need a second baseman. You fill your Q, and this is what I do. Let's say uh, the general of the auction is around $18, right? I fill my queue with everybody that the auction calculator says I that would be relevant to me, you know, the first base, the second, whatever positions I need. I fill it with everybody over $16. So then in my queue, I'm looking at everybody that's $16. In the, the sorting window, I have it sorted by ADP. So now I can look at, I say, okay, this is what the queue is telling me what the auction calculator is, is spitting out. This is what the auction calculator thinks I should pick. The ADP is telling me which one of those picks is riskiest or not riskiest, riskiest for losing. That Which one of these picks, if I don't pick them now, I'll lose them, right? I won't be able to get them later. So then I say, okay. Uh, this guy's an $18 player. He's at a position of need and the ADP lines up. Boom, I'm taking him. And I'm hoping this other guy comes back because his ADP is lower. So this just happened. It happened right after the Marte Parte. Um, Eugenio Suarez and Ketel Marte. I was looking at both of them. They had Ketel Marte. Eugenio Suarez had a higher predicted auction value than Ketel Marte. However, I know that second base sucks this year. And I looked at the ADP, and Ketel Marte had a much higher ADP, and I had a good friend named Derek. I, I, we, were, we chat all the time about our drafts, and he said, Eugenio is more likely to come back to you. And I was like, duh, look at the ADPs. Eugenio is, is more likely to come back to me. I did that. I got Eugenio on the way back. So that's basically how I would manage. And I think that not looking at ADP, some people say don't look at ADP. I think that's silly. That's going to give you a sense of who you're more likely to lose in the next round or two. Um, and so that's how I navigate the, the difference, I guess. Yeah, I think the don't look at ADP argument is don't look at ADP when you're generating your own rankings because mm-hmm. then you're incorporating groupthink into your analysis. But you do want to look at ADP 
either before or during the draft just to get a better feel for timing things out and coming away with as many of those high-value players as possible. Uh, but just looking at second base, I mean, I, I think we talk about decision trees quite a bit. I think what you can do is you can look at the ADP column and the cost column and say, hey, you know, I like Ozzy Albies as someone that I want to get maybe at that 2-3 turn or somewhere in round three. If I don't get Albies, oh, look at this. Jose Altuve, who goes about 50 to 60 picks later, has a similar overall value. And if you start to look at where the, the production comes from, okay, they're both good in average. They're both good in RBIs. They're it's both really good similar. in runs. Yeah. They're kind of similar like production-wise where, okay, I do prefer Albies and I want to get him. Someone else just took him. I'm going to do something else in this spot. I'm not going to take another second baseman here. I'm going to get Altuve later on. Like You start to identify some of your plan B and plan C type players mm-hmm. using the tool this way too. Uh, DJ LeMahieu, I think, is probably your your similar comp to Cattell Marte. A little more average in the projection even from DJ LeMahieu, but I, but quest, similar questions, I think, about how much power each of those guys is going to provide for for slightly different reasons. Overall values right around 19 bucks, depending on the settings that you put in. So you miss out on DJ LeMahieu in that 2-3 range. Guess what? Cattell Marte in the 5th or 6th might be a, a good fallback option. So that's that's the way I like to use it is kind of identifying similar players who might be available a lot later on. And you can do this up and down every position they're, they're, It's, it's one of the easiest ways to see it right in front of your face. Like here, here's one. I just had this earlier today in TGFBI. We've said on this show, I think during the catcher preview that getting one of the top five catchers is ideal. And usually it's not JT real Mudo in a snake draft because of what he costs in an auction. It's a little bit different. I think when I, I see the the numbers in front of me for Sal Perez and Yasmani Grandal, like there's a four-ish dollar difference in overall value. Most of that comes from batting average. I see Yasmani Grandal as a perfectly viable fallback option, even a better option than Sal Perez, because I don't want to necessarily draft a catcher in that pick 80 range, but at 130, I'm getting almost the exact same production from Yasmani Grandal, right? So I just I think this is a really good way to find pivots and, and different drops uh, drops in tier. Uh, because we talked a lot about Owen Poindexter's piece last draft season where he was looking at values across each position, like mm-hmm. where you get significant the drops. Second base position, is one of those yeah. spots. The shape of a position, it's easy to see the shape of a position looking at the auction calculator, even when you're playing in a snake draft, yeah. right? Why would you want dollar values in a snake draft? Because you could see where those tier breaks, where those drop-offs are. There's a bunch that look good at, at 10, and then there's like, a, they dropped like one and two, and you're like, whoa, that's terrible. So that, that, that definitely is a good way to do it. And then I would last, one last thing I would say is that at some point I stopped doing that. <laughs> because I do think that there is a relationship between your team needs and your team structure and the auction calculator that starts to fall apart at some point. You know, like if you have three first basemen, it doesn't matter anymore to you that there's a $10 first baseman out there. You know what I mean? You just can't fit them into yes. your lineup. So at some point the queue... Uh, becomes um, a much more intuitive thing for me where I might glance at the auction calculator, but really what I'm doing is looking at projections and the queue all of a sudden just becomes, well, I just really need a backup MI and uh, a starting pitcher and a reliever. So my queue is just going to be full of those guys. And then I'm going to kind of sort through those. So, you know, there definitely is a relationship between as you build your team, the team needs you create. Um, but you can get out, like you're saying, you can get out ahead of some of those needs uh, by by even looking at the auction calculator. So it definitely is the basis for for how I start to start drafts. There was a, an unrelated follow up question that came in with this one's keeper league question from Ben. Do you have a preference between Lazardo, Paddock, and Corbin Burns all being at the same price in a keeper league? In this particular league, it's a quality starts league, so you can factor that in as well the concern ben has with burns is the walk rate and a possible home run rate regression so any of those three pitchers you think is clearly above the group in a keeper league or would you even pivot and keep kevin biggio instead who's the same price and this is also an obp league where biggio's value jumps quite a bit yeah actually i think given all those those choices i might i might take biggio uh, the, the thing is that, uh, none of the three has the, what I'm looking for in a keeper pitcher, which is both good command and good uh, stuff. And when you're looking at Burns, he's like a 109 stuff. That's great. 
He's like a 91 command. That's fairly close to reliever level. And you got Paddock, who's got you know 95 stuff. That's not great. He's got 115 command plus. I do think he might have the best career out of the three. Uh, I think we yeah. might have just seen a stumble in in, a, in the middle of a pretty good career. Uh, but uh, betting on any of them to continue rather than Biggio, who's just demonstrated elite Vatoian uh, discipline, uh, lots of different uh, uh, places where he can help you. And then uh, he's almost like Vatoian uh, on the base pass too, where he's like going to get you 12 stolen bases against two caught stealings every year. So I feel like, um, he's just a, a, a great plug and play guy that I think I'd just rather have that. If I had to, if you're going to force me to the wall, I guess I'll take Burns. It's the, it's the outline. It's the, it's the elite stuff. It's the short term play. Uh, maybe Paddock is going to need another half year or something to figure it out. Now we agree though. I think BGO, especially in OBP, he could really be like a second or third round player in a format like that. Cause average is the thing that drags him down so much in typical, Five, I just five, treat five yeah, and with that with that with that setup, I'd treat pitchers as rentals and just double tap pitchers the first time you come out of keepers every year, first to second round, boom boom. There's going to be some good ones yep. out there for you. Just get your burns back, you know, get your burns back as your first round pick. Yeah, all three of the guys that Ben would throw back in this case would be candidates to take with those first couple of picks, right? Most likely, they'd be sitting right there for you, and then other people are going to throw pitchers in, and all of a sudden you're like, well, I, you know, I got my BGO and my burns. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for the questions, Ben. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we got one more question that came in. This one came in from Isaac. Isaac wants to know, why do you think some players have good barrel rates but bad other rates, such as hard hit and exit velocity in particular? Are barrels somewhat luck-based and babby? Examples could include Kyle Lewis, who's got a good barrel rate but a bad hard hit rate and relatively low exit velocity, or Vlad Jr., who's got a good hard hit rate and exit velocity but is mid-range in barrels. So... What do you make of this? You know, are barrels somewhat luck-based and babby, as Isaac asks? Well, I mean, the, 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 you we've talked on the show about how you would regress uh, somebody's uh, barrel explosion. Like if they showed a bunch of barrels one year um, and then you were trying to project them, you would regress that. So, yes, there is amount, a certain amount of luck with any bad ball. Um, and there's a certain amount of uh, relationship between sample and 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 how much you can believe it. So, um, you know, Lewis in particular, smaller sample. Maybe uh, Barrel has it wrong. Uh, maybe he just got lucky on a couple hard hit uh, balls in the air. But I would say that um, it's not like Babbitt, uh, Babbitt at all in a, in one way, which is that when you look at year to year correlations, like how sticky is it? How much does if you show that skill in one year, how much do you show it the next year? Um, it's much better. <laughs> uh, barrels are about the best thing we've got. Um, one of the things, the only, the only things that was stickier year to year was, um, how hard you hit the ball when you hit the ball in the air, which is barrels. It's, you know what I mean? The, the idea is we're looking at, uh, how hard you can hit the ball in the right angles. So barrels is just the right angles 
and uh, hard hit fly balls is a wider group of angles. But the idea is still, can you hit the ball hard and in the air? Interestingly, uh, ground ball exit velocity is not at all uh, sticky ear to ear. It's not not. It's more like BABIP, and that's probably part of the whole BABIP thing. Is that like uh, it, it's not that much of a repeatable skill to hit the ball hard in the ground for whatever reason. I, you know, that might be a mechanical reason. Might be something worth unpacking. But there's something more repeatable about hitting the ball in the air uh, a punch. So I guess if I was faced with the choice of these two batted ball profiles, let's say let's give Kyle Lewis the same amount of sample as Vlad Guerrero has, right? Let's say they have the same amount of batted balls. You've got a guy who's got good barrels but a bad hard hit or mediocre hard hit versus a guy who has great hard hit but mediocre barrels. I'm going to take the barrels guy. It's a little bit like uh, Yandy Diaz uh, versus uh, Harrison Bader. I, that, that makes it sound bad because nobody wants Harrison Bader, but um, I, 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 that's just the name that came to mind. But, you know, both of those guys are flawed. I mean, maybe that is a good comparison. Do you want Yandy Diaz or do you want Harrison Bader? I'm going to take Harrison Bader. He's the barrels guy. I know there's there's flaws. Yandy Diaz has flaws. Both of them are very flawed. Uh, but uh, Yandy Diaz hits the ball really hard. A lot of it's on the ground. And, and then he had a year where he didn't even hit the ball that hard. So, uh, long story short, the most repeatable skill is hitting the ball in the air. We've seen a few players, like veteran players, start hitting the ball in the air at an advanced age in recent seasons. Eric Hosmer, I think, was the best example from last season. I think we talked about him looking at first baseman, and I distinctly remember saying, ah, it's Eric Hosmer, he's just killing the ball into the ground, killing worms. You know, it's just it's not going to change for him, but it did. He got the ball in the air more often and good things happen for him in the shortened season. Ryan Zimmerman did it a few years ago too. It it's possible to take hard hit balls in the ground and turn them into hard hit balls in the air, but I I don't think that is an easy sort of adjustment to make. It's difficult to assume that a hitter can and will quickly make that adjustment. But if you just go to the, the Baseball Savant leaderboard, sort that page by the fly ball and line drive exit velocity column, it's loaded with guys that we like. It's Miguel Sano, it's Tatis, it's Acuna, it's Soto, it's Corey Seager. Uh, it's a few stat cast darlings sprinkled in like Teoscar Hernandez, but he had the breakout last year and put some decent numbers together in 19. It's Nelson Cruz, it's Eloy Jimenez and Yelich and Jose Abreu. Like, those are all really good players. So you, you move further down that list and you start to say, hmm, maybe the Evan White year two is going to be a lot better if he can get the strikeout rate in check because when he hits the ball in the air, he's doing quite a bit of damage in those spots. Maybe Colin Moran, who's 15th in terms of average exit velocity on flies and liners, like maybe that's more real than I was giving him credit for. Willie Adamas, baby, just needs to make some contact. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty interesting to see the surprises on a list like that, but I, I, I would agree. Like generally, like you, you can have a, a profile that's mostly good, and you can always kind of tweak that one thing. But sometimes you lose something with it. Sometimes the cost of hitting the ball in the air more often is a spike in strikeout rate. If the strikeout rate jumps up, then you know the batting average comes down. So you, there's there's some give and take to make that last adjustment in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this this sort of analysis brought us Rowdy Telez. It's uh, it, it's found us some gems in the past, and um, I I can't say that I understand exactly why uh, uh, ground ball exit velocity is so uh, noisy. But um, this is the skill we're looking for when you're looking for power. This is the skill you're looking for. I'm looking back at 2019 and trying to find some surprises going into 2020. Uh, maybe Jorge Soler counts. Uh, he was sixth in this. Uh, who's another surprise? Uh, you know, Josh Bell, it didn't really quite work out. That's a surprise it didn't work out. Brugge Odor, proof it doesn't always work That's out. Right. right. I mean, but I think a lot of, on that list. with Odor in particular and with uh, Abreu, um, there is this, uh, not Abreu, uh, uh, Bell, there is this question of like, the, uh, there's other skills involved. Like, yes, okay, you hit the ball hard when you hit it in the air. This two, the second two questions are, how often do you hit the ball? <laughs> Important. Uh, Rougenette Odor, uh, uh, Willie Adamas. And then the second one is, how often do you hit it in the air? Period. Uh, and that was a bit of a problem for Josh Bell. But um, I'm I'm taking Josh Bell as a bounce back back to these, these sorts of numbers in 2019 uh, myself. One last thing. Max EV is the is a really really sticky thing year to year 
And the reason that, that is so great is it's it's it just it pushes the whole it pushes the whole possibility range of possibilities for you, uh, because hitting the ball in the air actually requires you to hit a little bit less than your max EV, uh, because you're trying to hit it in the air. So that's why that's the max EV is kind of this thing that brings it all together. Um, so you know max EV guys uh, from last year uh, that you know this is where Vlad shows up because what you're saying is he can show he can hit the ball really hard. He has a really good uh, you know range of possibilities. He does need to start. He's second, third in max EV. So he can hit the ball really hard. He hits it too much on the ground. We're hoping that he can he can put it up in the in the air. Lewis doesn't hit the ball quite as hard, but he puts it in the air. So he's he's conquered one of those skills. Yeah, and I think like Ryan McMahon is kind of interesting. If you look back at 2019, like very high up on on the fly ball line drive exit velo leaderboard, pretty good in max exit velocity. I think he's 21st among qualified hitters and average there. Uh, and about 40th or so in max EV like that. That's a profile you want to believe in. The swing and miss portion is where it kind of goes a little wrong for him, right? I mean, we're talking about a guy that strikes out at least 30% of the time, most seasons. But if you can bring that down just a little bit, there's a chance that McMahon could still be a bit of a, a late bloomer for us, especially at the price and being a guy that can move around a bit with that multi-position eligibility. In worst case scenario, he's a guy that you have, uh, you only play at Coors you know, at MI or somewhere, wherever you need him. A little easier to pull that off with a guy that's eligible at three spots too. You know, you can right. throw him on the bench. At least you can fit him in for your, your worst option at one of five spots, right? Between first, second, third, middle, and corner. I got a max EV sleeper for this year. Lay it on us. Joe Adele, 14th in the big leagues. I know he's got the contact issues. You don't have to tell me about him. <laughs> but dude did do something right last year. It may not it may not come right off the page, but he did do something right last year. Uh Josh Bell Josh Bell and Gregory Polanco, twenty-sixth and twenty-seventh. I have I took Polanco in that uh massive fifty round DC um as my first bench outfielder. I feel pretty good about that. I got one more name to throw everybody not interesting in the Joe Adele kind of way, but Kyle Schwarber still hits the crap out mm-hmm. of the ball. And he's coming off a really bad shortened season. I love that signing for the Nats. I would put him in our, our conversation of guys that look like he's in really good shape. He looks trim again. I mean, like he's been kind of better, I would say, in terms of how he looks for a couple of years now. But I just saw Kyle Schwarber highlights on Twitter earlier today. He looks like really healthy at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised at all by a massive bounce Abby back. Sahil, a good mid-round power 37th. Source. We gotta give Ave Sahil some some love. Trim Garcia. Do it. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot here to unpack, and we're gonna keep digging in, of course, as we often do, looking for more sources of value. A lot of mid round and kind of later round options that you can find on these leaderboards. That if it doesn't work out, you're not really out all that much in terms of draft day cost. So I think that's a good way to really kind of fish in the right pool for some possible surgers here in 2021. Uh, before we go, a few things I wanted to throw out there. Uh, if you haven't signed up for The Athletic, $3.99 a month is the best deal we have going right now. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels will bring you there. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, just be sure to subscribe to the channel. Hit the like button on this video. We really appreciate everybody who's done that. And if you're listening on any podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a nice rating and review, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes to do that as well. Uh, I know we're asking for a lot, but we really appreciate everybody who's left us reviews. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. It goes a long way to uh, support our show. Uh, if you really want to help us out even further, we've got a survey link in the show notes as well. It's for all the shows we do here at The Athletics. So we'd love to get some feedback from you and know more about how we can better serve you with our shows going forward. So that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening.